Well, it is great to see you this morning, and um, this morning we're continuing this sermon series through Equip as we're working through our doctrinal statement and highlighting what it is that we believe here at Grace Bible Church and why it's important, what difference it makes. And uh, this week, as I've been preparing for this particular message on the Holy Spirit, my mind a number of times went to that conversation that takes place in John chapter 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus. It's a famous story, you you probably can recall it in your mind, where uh, Jesus and Nicodemus are having this conversation, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, and he says, listen, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound of it, you don't know where it came from, where it's going, and so it is with the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus then confused, says to Jesus, how can these things be? And if you're like me, you can probably relate to Nicodemus' confusion when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. As I think back even into my seminary days, you know how much I love Dallas Seminary, uh, but basically what I remember from Dallas Seminary regarding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is God. We don't speak in tongues. Any questions? <laughs> that, that was pretty much it. Um, so my goal for us this morning, as we work through John 16, as we look at our doctrinal statement, my goal this morning is to convince you it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is a little more involved and a little more intimate than that. And so grab your Bible and open up with me to John chapter 16. And as you're turning there, um, I want to share with you a quote from John Stott. John Stott says, wherever one looks in the church today, there is an evident need for a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. He says, surely all of us hunger and thirst for more. We long for true revival and we yearn for a deeper, richer, fuller experience of Christ through the Holy Spirit in our own lives. And I'm sure you can relate to that. That there is an evident, deeper need of a movement of the Holy Spirit. We yearn for that in our churches. We yearn for that individually. And so let's dig a little deeper into this doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to follow there on your outline, the same outline we're going to look at every week as we work our way through the series. I've selected a text for us. We're going to talk about the theology, what our doctrinal statement says, and then we're going to talk about the takeaway, the so what. And so there in John chapter 16, and that's going to be our text for this morning, we're actually going to begin by taking a look at the last two verses of chapter 15. This is just kind of going to be a running start into chapter 16. But John chapter 15, the last two verses, Jesus is talking to his disciples now, and he says to them, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's just pause right here. Our main text is going to be John chapter 16. And Jesus there talks about the helper. And really the only thing I want you to see for now in these last two verses of John 15 is that when Jesus talks about the helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. 
Here he says the helper when he comes, that is the spirit of truth. And so Jesus in John chapter 16, which is our main passage, is talking about the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says in verse 7. This is really where we're going to begin. John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth. And then notice this. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is talking to his disciples as he has been. He's, been. he's now preparing them for his departure. He's just hours away, really, from being arrested and, and taken to trial and nailed to a cross. And he says to his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. You could paraphrase it by saying Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away. And when I go away, I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to you. Is that kind of an odd statement to you? I mean, I suspect that if we were to take a poll, if we were to vote this morning, and on the ballot were two options, you get one vote, you can only pick one, but option number one is in five minutes, Jesus himself walks in through the back door, or option number two, the Holy Spirit is going to move in this church in a way we've never experienced before. My gut reaction, I would typically choose option number one, right? To Jesus, to walk in through the door. But Jesus says to his disciples, it's better for you that I go away and I'll send the Holy Spirit the help to help her to you. Again, this doctrine of the Holy Spirit and, and what this all really means is much more complicated than we originally think. I mean, how is it that it's more advantageous for the disciples that Jesus himself leaves so that the Holy Spirit can come? Well, thankfully, in the next verses, Jesus explains really what it is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is all about. And, and notice what he says, starting in verse 8, Jesus explains, he says, and he, that is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So in the following verses, Jesus is going to lay out the ministry of the Holy Spirit. First, the ministry of the Holy Spirit related to the world, that is to unbelievers, and then he's going to lay out and highlight the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, to believers, to the church. But first, now Jesus is highlighting the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in his relationship to the world, to unbelievers. And he says, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world is one of conviction. The word for convict here is courtroom terminology. It means to lay out as evidence all the facts, to expose the truth, and to convince of the truth. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus identifies here in John chapter 16, in his relationship to the world, to unbelievers, is to lay out before them the truth regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
that the world, that unbelievers will know the truth, be convinced of the truth regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. And notice he continues and explains. He says in verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. We talked about sin a few weeks ago, what sin is. It's falling short of the glory of God. It's really a breaking of covenant relationship with our creator. But interestingly, notice Jesus says, I'm going to convince the world, the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. See, really, the first thing that unbelievers need to understand and recognize is that they've rejected their Savior. They've not trusted in the one who can save them from their sin. And this is why week in and week out, um, here in this room, we share the gospel for those of you in this room and for those of you online, that really the main thing, if you've never trusted in Jesus before, the thing you have to consider is him. That he came to take upon himself the sin of the world, to die in your place. And ultimately, what God is calling you to do, what the Spirit is convicting you to do, is to see the truth of who Jesus is and to trust in him. So that's really the first, that's the starting place here. And very practically, listen, I know as I look in this room, I've had conversations with many of you um, who you're saved, you know the Lord, uh, but you're praying for people in your workplace and your family who don't know the Lord. And notice here what an encouragement it is to know very practically that the same people you're praying for, the same people you're looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with, the Holy Spirit is involved in that as well. Uh, that it's really not dependent upon you. It's a work of God, the Holy Spirit, in that's per- that person's life. It's an incredible comfort to us to realize that he's the one ultimately driving this. Jesus goes on in verse 10. He's saying that the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his relationship with the world with unbelievers is to convict them of sin, but also notice verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. So the Holy Spirit's ministry is to lay out the truth, the evidence regarding righteousness, that there is a righteous standard. And Jesus is the embodiment, the perfection of the righteousness of God himself. And because he's going away, now new evidence needs to be presented. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit regarding unbelievers is to lay before them that there is a righteous standard that they fall short of, that we all fall short of. And so the Holy Spirit lays out the evidence regarding righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father. And then verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So another thing the Holy Spirit does in his relationship with the world is he lays before them the reality that one day uh, we are going to have to give an account. That even the ruler of this world, Satan himself, has already been judged. And so judgment will come upon all who follow him. So the Holy Spirit's actively working, Jesus says, in his relationship with the world to lay before them the evidence regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is all the Holy Spirit's relationship with the world. And starting in the next verse, Jesus then shifts gears and he focuses in on the role of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, in his relationship with believers, with the disciples. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, I've 
many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, and he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A couple words that Jesus uses here that I want you to take note of. He talks about guiding and the disclosing of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the role of the Holy Spirit to glorify the Son. The two big ministries of the Holy Spirit that Jesus identifies here in the Holy Spirit's relationship with us is guiding and glorifying. Guiding and glorifying. Guiding us into the truth Notice again, he says, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you. Uh, Theologically, one of the terms that theologians use is the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and our minds. He reveals things from the scripture, guiding us into the truth of who God is, of who we are. And as Jesus says here, of what is to come. But then the second major area Jesus identifies here in verse 14, the Holy Spirit will glorify the Son. Glorify me, Jesus says. Uh, What's really interesting is Jesus elsewhere says that he came to glorify the Father. And the Holy Spirit now, he says, came to glorify the Son. So the Spirit glorifies the Son and the Son glorifies the Father. Another way of saying this is that the Spirit reveals the Son, and the Son came to reveal the Father. Uh, That constantly the Holy Spirit is really pointing us to Jesus, pointing believers to who Jesus is. uh, The Holy Spirit's role is to glorify the Son. We'll talk about this more in a little bit. But as you take a look here in John chapter 16, I mean, this is a really simple breakdown of a very complicated subject. Again, let's be honest, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, is a very complicated subject. It's much more complex than he is God, we don't speak in tongues, any questions. And so let's dig a little deeper, looking now into our doctrinal statement, about specifically what is it that we here at Grace believe about the Holy Spirit. And just like in John chapter 16, there were two major parts the Holy Spirit's relationship to the world and the Holy Spirit's relationship to believers. That's how our doctrinal statement is broken down as well. The Holy Spirit's relationship to the world, to unbelievers, and the Holy Spirit's relationship to us, to the church. Um, So let me read it for you. It's listed there on the backside of your outline. Let me read it for you, and then we'll break it down kind of section by section. But it says, we believe the Holy Spirit is a person who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He also, in the present age, regenerates believers in Christ, baptizes them into the church, the body of Christ, indwells them permanently, seals them unto the day of redemption, bestows spiritual gifts upon each one, and fills those yielded to him. So again, you can probably see the two major sections in our own doctrinal statement, the Holy Spirit's relationship to unbelievers and the Holy Spirit's relationship to believers. But before we get there, 
From time to time, I've suggested uh, some clarifying statements I think we need to add to our doctrinal statement. And when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, there's one little tweak that I'd like to make that's very significant. And again, for clarification, we'll go through all the proper channels at the right time. I'm just putting this before you now to consider. But our statement says we believe the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. I think we should strengthen that to say we believe the Holy Spirit is an eternal person and fully God. We believe the Holy Spirit is an eternal person and fully God. We talked this through when we went through the idea of the Trinity a few weeks ago, but each person of the Trinity is an eternal person, in other words, never created, but has always existed. But then we also, I think, need to add the helpful phrase, we believe the Holy Spirit is fully God, because there's a lot of people today who believe that the Holy Spirit is just this force, this supernatural movement. Um, So I would like to clarify the fact we believe the Holy Spirit is an eternal person, always existed, and also fully God, fully God. So if we add that statement, I think that'd be a great improvement, but let's take a look at really what it is that our statement currently says. Again, there's two parts, the Holy Spirit's relationship to unbelievers and the Holy Spirit's relationship to believers. First, to unbelievers. Again, we believe the Holy Spirit, notice, is a person, an eternal person who is fully God, who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, obviously, this is straight out of John chapter 16, right? Uh, this is a great, I mean, couldn't be, couldn't be approved upon. This is fantastic. We believe the Holy Spirit in his relationship with the world, with unbelievers, his main role in ministry is to convict unbelievers of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they've not believed in Jesus. Righteousness because they need righteousness. And judgment because there is a judgment to come. This is it. I mean, this is what we have to understand, what unbelievers have to understand, and what we trust in the Holy Spirit's movement in unbelievers. So let's shift gears now and focus in on what our statement says about the Holy Spirit's relationship with us. Much lengthier portion of our doctrinal statement lists six primary ministries, six primary ministries of the Holy Spirit and his relationship with you and with me. Notice again, we believe the Holy Spirit is a person who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He also, in the present age, number one, regenerates believers in Christ. Number two, baptizes them into the church, the body of Christ. Number three, indwells them permanently. Number four, seals them until the day of redemption. Number five, bestows spiritual gifts upon each one. And six, feels, fills, not feels, that was that little southern draw coming out there, fills those yielded to him. So let's break down each of those statements one by one. First, that idea that the Holy Spirit regenerates, regenerates believers in Christ. The word for regeneration simply means to be made alive, to be given spiritual life. And this is really where it begins. 
Think back again to John chapter 3 and Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus says to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He says you have to be born again. And that's what we mean when we talk about this doctrine of regeneration. The Spirit himself is the one who brings us to spiritual life. There's no such thing as a person who is saved who's not been brought to life by the life-giving Spirit. And especially in the New Testament, you see a number of words, a number of pictures to describe this idea of regeneration, but born again or given new birth, these are all terms and ideas to describe this work of regeneration. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, makes us alive in Christ. And instantaneously, simultaneously, with that work of redemption, are the next several words that are identified in our doctrinal statement. At the exact moment of regeneration, other things happen, such as baptizes them into the church, the body of Christ, indwells them permanently, seals them until the day of redemption. So let's take a look at each of those phrases. The second major idea here is baptizes. Our statement says we believe that the Spirit baptizes them into the church, the body of Christ. Now, we need to be careful here because in the New Testament especially, uh, there's two primary categories of baptism. You have water baptism and you have spirit baptism. Water baptism is what we do over here. This takes place after salvation, right? A person is saved, but then they proclaim that faith publicly through the waters of baptism. But that's not what we're talking about here. Baptism is used in another way in the New Testament to describe this idea of a spirit baptism. And when you think of that, primarily think about the idea of identification. That the spirit baptizes you or identifies you in the body of Christ. That at the moment of faith, the moment of regeneration, a person is identified with, baptized into the body of Christ. They're identified with the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And again, this takes place instantaneously at the moment of salvation. Also, instantaneously, is this idea that the Holy Spirit indwells them permanently. At the moment of faith, at the moment of regeneration, at the moment of baptism, the Holy Spirit indwells them permanently or takes residence in you. Again, this is amazing. Think back again to Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because what Jesus knew and what Jesus was saying there is that his departure was actually going to be a different presence, the the presence of the Holy Spirit now is going to completely overwhelm believers. The paradox really in what Jesus is saying is that by his departure, the presence of God is coming in a deeper way because now the presence of God is going to indwell all believers permanently. In the Old Testament, sometimes the Holy Spirit would come and go upon a person. But we believe that at the moment of faith, at the moment of salvation, at the moment of regeneration, at the moment of baptism, you are permanently indwelled by the very presence of God. That God has taken up his residence in you. And that he'll never leave you or forsake you. 
The next big idea we see here is we believe that the Holy Spirit seals them until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit seals them until the day of redemption. You can jot down Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul says, You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's possession. In other words, the Holy Spirit, one of his ministries, one of his roles is to seal you and to seal your redemption. And a seal is a a mark of both security and purity. It's a mark of security and purity. In other words, that what God has pledged, what God has guaranteed with the seal, this Holy Spirit is guaranteed to happen. Your redemption is secure and the pledge, the guarantee is the Holy Spirit. It's a mark of security, but it's also a mark of purity, this seal. Because the Holy Spirit is holy. He works to make you pure, to work in your life, to transform your life. We'll talk about that a little more in just a bit. As we continue in the doctrinal statement, we come now to the last two phrases that this is really the practical nature. Uh, The practical nature of the Christian life, we identify that the Holy Spirit bestows spiritual gifts upon each one and fills those yielded to him. So real practically, in the real nitty-gritty of the Christian life, we believe that at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit bestows a spiritual gift or gifts upon each and every one of you who is trusted in Jesus, who's regenerated, who's baptized, who's indwelled, uh, who's sealed by the Holy Spirit. That God has also given you a spiritual gift, and you're encouraged to use that, to employ that gift in the body of Christ. And probably at some point in the future, I'll do a more in-depth sermon series on the Holy Spirit, because this, I know, is kind of like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. And one of the things we'll talk about is spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Which ones do we believe are permanent? Some maybe we believe have gone away or were temporary, and we'll talk about that all at another time. But the main thing I want you to understand regarding spiritual gifts, the purpose of spiritual gifts really is two things. Spiritual gifts bring maturity to the body of Christ and spiritual gifts expand the ministry of the body of Christ. They bring maturity and expand the ministry of the body of Christ. In other words, every one of you in this room, if you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, that Spirit has given you a particular gift And the entire body of Christ matures together as each and every person uses that gift. And if you don't use the gift, then the body of Christ ultimately suffers. So one of the things spiritual gifts does is it matures the body of Christ. But it's not just about this local body of Christ here at Grace Bible Church. The Holy Spirit's gifting is also used to multiply the mission of the church. That sometimes God calls people outside the walls of of this particular building. He calls people around the world and the mission of Jesus is expanded and taken to the ends of the earth through these same spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to each and every one of us. 
Again, we'll talk about this in greater detail at some other point, but the spiritual gifts are meant to deepen our maturity and to expand our mission. And then finally, the last phrase, the last ministry that we identify in our doctrinal statement regarding the Holy Spirit and his relationship with you is that the Holy Spirit fills those yielded to him. The Holy Spirit fills those yielded to him. Notice there's the Holy Spirit's part and there's your part. The Holy Spirit does the filling and we do the yielding. It's ultimately an issue of control, of surrender, of submission. Jot down Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives a great picture, a word picture, an analogy, and a a comparison. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise your hand, but we probably can all relate to a time or two, and we've consumed a little bit too much wine, right? And it's an issue of control. And this substance begins to influence your behavior, the way you live. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And again, it's an issue of control, of influence. What is it that we're putting in that then the Spirit is going to use to produce in us? So these are the ministries of the Holy Spirit that we've identified. But honestly, you could add a lot more than this. When you look at especially the entire New Testament, And the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church, to the body of Christ, the list goes on and on and on and on. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee says this, he says, the Spirit searches all things, the Spirit knows the mind of God, the Spirit teaches the content of the gospel, the Spirit dwells among and within believers, the Spirit accomplishes all things, gives life to those who believe, cries out from within our hearts, leads us in the ways of God, bears witness within our own spirits, has desires that are in opposition to our flesh, helps us in our weaknesses, intercedes on our behalf, work things all together, strengthens us, and is grieved by our sinfulness. I mean, you could take an entire sermon on each and every one of those ministries of the Holy Spirit. This is a huge doctrine, much more complex than the Holy Spirit is God, we don't speak in tongues, any questions. (laughs) But now let's take a look at number three on your outline. What difference does it make? Okay, there is a Holy Spirit. We've seen some of his ministries. We've listed some in our doctrinal statement. But what's the takeaway? I've got a couple thoughts for you. First of all is I think we need to simply be aware of the Holy Spirit. To be aware of and to appreciate his presence, his ministry in our life and in the life of the church. Really step one is simply remembering him. It's not a stretch to suggest that churches tend to go to one extreme or another. You know, on the one extreme, we've all seen the uh, videos of, you know, Benny Hinn and and pastors who have used this and abused this, uh, who claim certain powers that they don't have. Uh, We've seen the ministry of the Holy Spirit being abused in churches. 
But on the other hand, I think we can all relate to the other end of the spectrum, the other extreme of really functionally, it's like the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. I mean, we may give lip service to the Holy Spirit, but, but how does he really impact our life? And so really step one is just coming to an awareness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, one scholar says the Holy Spirit, like the Father and the Son, is not just a doctrine, an idea, or an experience, but he is the God who has invaded our lives with his transforming presence. I love that. The Holy Spirit is God who has transformed our lives with his presence. Again, this makes more sense of what Jesus said in John 3, or in John 16, when he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because now the very presence of God, the very spirit of God can invade our lives and to make us different than we once were. The second major idea that I want you to consider in terms of application, uh, jot down Galatians chapter five. One of the things that the Spirit does is he brings about fruitfulness in our life. The Spirit of God brings about fruitfulness in our life. Paul says in Galatians five, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Another thing the Holy Spirit does, it's not specifically stated in our doctrinal statement, but he manifests the very life of Jesus in your life and in my life as we're walking in the Spirit. As we walk in submission to him, he brings about the very life of Christ in us. It's amazing. And it's a promise. And as you look at Galatians chapter 5, one of the amazing things is that I believe over time, as we walk in the Spirit, as we submit to Him and yield to Him, our desires begin to change. And the things that we used to desire, the deeds of the flesh that Paul lists in Galatians 5, are now replaced by the fruit of the Spirit. He changes our very heart. He changes our very desire. A couple of years ago, um, it was kind of right at the height of covid and right at the height of COVID, when things were getting quite controversial and there was a lot of argument and debate in basically every church that I know of, um, God impressed upon my heart a prayer that as I entered into every conversation, it was my heart's desire, my prayer, that at the end of this potentially difficult and divisive conversation, my goal was not to win the debate, but my goal was that when that person walked away, they would feel love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't do it perfectly. I still don't do it perfectly. Ask my family, ask my wife, right? Sometimes I still like to win the debate. I still like to win the argument, right? Um, but I'd invite you to join me in that prayer. As you enter into difficult conversations, difficult situations, ask God the Holy Spirit to work in your life so that the fruit of the Spirit is manifest. So that person you're talking with, that person you're engaging with, when they walk away from that interaction with you, they'd think, man, that was, that was not what I expected. I felt love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But how do we do this? This is the last thought I have for you. How is this possibly done? Because we cannot do this in and of ourselves. 
We're constantly feeling that pull of the flesh. We want to win the argument. We want to win the debate. We want to get our way. So how can we possibly walk in the Spirit? How can we possibly be filled with the Spirit of God? How can we possibly have the fruit of the Spirit manifested in our life? First, I need you to recognize and and see in your own life that the work of the Spirit is often a slow and steady transformation. It's a slow and steady transformation. Uh, One person has said that when God ripens apples, he isn't in a hurry and he doesn't make a lot of noise about it. (laughs) And it's the same with you and with me. God is very patient, thankfully. He's very patient. But we get frustrated when God is patient with other people, right? We expect more out of them. Get your act together. But the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life is one of slowly steady transformation. And the way that this works about, one of the ways this works about, goes back to Ephesians 5. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And a real question of application for you this morning is, is what are you filling in your life? Paul here identifies alcohol, but honestly, that could be, it could be a million other things. Some of us fill our lives with materialism or pleasure or entertainment or consumerism. And again, if you couple Ephesians 5 with Galatians 5, one of the realities we're confronted with is what we put in our life will be multiplied either by the flesh or by the spirit and produced out in the way we live. So if we fill our lives with the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, the the flesh within us is going to take that and multiply it, and the deeds of the flesh are going to spill out of our life. But on the other hand, if we take that which is of the Spirit, and we fill ourselves with the life of the Spirit, and Paul goes on to say, filling yourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, if we put good things in our mind, if we put good things in our heart, then the Holy Spirit is going to take that and multiply that, and it's going to spill out in our life. So a question I'd have for you is, is, is what are you putting in? This week, Francis Chan uh, reread his book called The Forgotten God, And there's a question he asks that honestly has convicted me all week long as I've considered it. Picking up on the idea that one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the comforter, Francis Chan says, let me ask you a simple question. Why would we need to experience the comforter if our our lives are already so comfortable? Because often we fill our lives with things that bring us comfort the idea of comfort. So do we really put ourselves in a position of needing to experience the comforting of the comforter when we've created artificial comfort in every moment of our life? All right, that's enough conviction. So uh, let me see, turn it back to the one thing for you this week. And this is really a personal thing. Uh, there's certainly an objectivity to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but there's also a subjectivity to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what I'd ask for you to do this week as you reflect on the Holy Spirit's person and work in your life, in what ways is God calling you to grow in your worship of and reliance upon him, God the Holy Spirit? And so I'd encourage you to reflect on and think on that question uh, this week. Uh, But to close this out, I do want to 
read for you a prayer of Francis Chan in that book, Forgotten God. I think it's a very well-said prayer of Francis Chan that we'll pray and then we'll take the Lord's table together. Let's pray. Spirit, we know that we have done wrong by you. Please forgive us for grieving, resisting, and quenching you. We have resisted you through sin, through our rebellion, and through our hardness of heart. At times, we have been spiritually blind. At other times, we knew what you wanted us to do, but we chose to ignore your promptings. Yet this is not how we want to live now. We need you to change us. Only through you can we truly worship. Spirit of the Lord, you are the one who brings us to a place where we can worship. You are the spirit of truth, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of life. Thank you for the truth, the holiness, and the life you give us. We need your wisdom and understanding as we seek to live this life. Keep us from disbelief and from fear. We need your strength to help us to do what you're asking us to do, to live how you're asking us to live. Speak loudly and drown out the other voices calling to us to conform to the patterns of this world. You are the spirit of self-control and love. Give us the self-control we need to deny our flesh and follow you. Give us a love strong enough to motivate courageous action. Manifest yourself through us that we may serve and love the bride of Christ, the church, as you do. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We don't know exactly what that means or looks like, but nonetheless, whatever it means, we ask for your presence. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen.